Welcome to the Sales Development Podcast, your trusted resource for the latest strategies, tactics, and tips on running a high-performance sales development program. Sales development has grown to become a critical part of the success of high-growth companies, and we dive in each week on how to specifically make your program successful and accelerate your career advancement. Subscribe at iTunes, YouTube, and jump on the newsletter over at 10pound.com to make sure you never miss an episode. Hello, 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 everybody. Welcome to another edition of the Sales Development Podcast. I'm your host, David Delaney. I am joined today. I'm really excited, actually, to talk with her. Courtney McKenzie-Newell is a brand and marketing strategist who partners with CEOs, executives, and Fortune 100 companies, not even 500, 100 companies, to grow their personal and professional brands and make them the most talked about and in-demand leading authorities in the area. She has written a book that's over on Amazon called Future Proof. The Blueprint for Building a Brand Gen Z and Millennials Love, which I need to read because I'm older than that. I'm not going to tell you. But Courtney, thank you so much for coming on the show and sharing your knowledge. David, thank you so much for having me. I'm so happy to be here. So honored. Thank you. This is so exciting because definitely millennials are among our audience big time at the Sales Development Podcast, but Gen Z also is coming up. So I really want to dive into how you help companies to, you know, get in front of this audience with your media empire that you're building and really introduce them to you. I mean, how did you get into this and what are you working on now? Yeah. So David, the funny thing is I actually have been, my business anniversary is in a few months. So February 4th is our 10 year anniversary and I'm just so I'm just so excited about that anniversary. I was planning a big party, but you know, probably not going to be able to do that the old-fashioned way. But we'll probably do a virtual party, so you're definitely invited. Nice. But I actually started the company when I was at FIU. I went to Florida International University undergrad, and then I did advanced study at Dartmouth College, and then also at Northwestern. And what I learned when I was at FIU, which was the most valuable education I've gotten, was that there was really a need for Gen X and Gen Z. I mean, there was a there was a really big disconnect with Gen Y, really knowing how to connect with these other demographics. And so baby boomers especially was the biggest one. And so what I realized was that I was amongst my peers and I learned from the ground what they were looking for, the things that they wanted to know before they actually made those purchasing decisions what trends they were leaning towards, what things they were avoiding, and all these different things. And so I had a professor who, by the name of Marco Rubio, he was actually my professor. I know he's like a celebrity now, but he wasn't back then. (laughs) He was actually my political science professor, and he asked me to be his intern. And I was his intern and learned a ton from him. And from that, went to work on both Democratic and Republican campaigns. Didn't really love politics as much as I thought I would, so I removed myself from it. Thankfully, I'm glad I'm not in that world right now. And I started my own agency two months after graduating from FIU. So really quickly, we ramped up and we were able to help brands connect with their millennial audiences using social media marketing. And then from there, we started to work with large brands. And that's kind of where we are now. We're really focused on helping large corporations be able to channel and connect with 
more their millennial and now Gen Z, who are now entering into the workforce, really helping them better understand them and helping them to be able to build rapport and more importantly, build brand affinity with those demographics. So yeah, it's a wild ride. (laughs) That is a wild ride. I mean, I'm glad that you got out of politics. Wow. Okay. (laughs) Let's not even go there. That's, that's, that's scary. So tell me, okay, so how do we work? How do you work with these companies? Like what's, what's the process to like figure out what they're trying to do and then make that connection? Because it seems like that would be, it's so difficult to try to figure out, first of all, how do you take these companies and like, connect them with their audience. It it seems like that would be a huge challenge. Yeah. The interesting thing, I think there's this myth around these large organizations that they kind of have it all figured out, but really most of the departments work in silos. So they're really looking to smaller businesses, consultants to come in and share with them, hey, these are the emerging trends. These are things that you need to be looking out for. And you can pretty much see it. I mean, I'm in media, I'm tracking. If you saw my trend report that I get every single morning, it would like blow your mind. I mean, we're tracking like a thousand different trends. So all morning, like my first three hours of the morning, I'm just like going through like, okay, this is trending. We can pitch that for this client. This is trending. We can spin it this way and push our client to that story. So it's like every morning, me and my team are doing that, but it's just so much fun for us. It's like Christmas morning every day, (laughs) but a lot of them don't actually know what they need. And so they're looking to smaller companies that are more agile to tell them, hey, this is what you actually need to be focused on. Because, you know, when you're working in a large organization, they're focused on what they have to do and making sure that they're putting out the fires that they're dealing with every day. And they don't really have time to see, like, look above and see, oh, my gosh, like, I didn't even realize that was a problem. And so they're really looking to small businesses and consultants to really come in and say, hey, these are some of the opportunities for growth. And these are some of the threats that you're having. I always like to do a good old fashioned SWOT analysis, strengths, weaknesses, opportunities and threats. And really proposing that to a lot of our clients is typically how we get started a lot of times. Got it. Okay. And so they're not able to monitor. Are you going up against big agencies that have deep relationships and stuff like that? And they actually look at you as, okay, it's not like one of these big brand agencies. So we can get, it's more agile. You know, they're more on top of the trends. They can help us in a better way? Yeah, absolutely. Well, you know, our first time working with a global brand, we actually came in as what they call a tier two. So we were working underneath a very large agency, like a multinational marketing and media agency. And we were specifically tasked with one part of a very large project. And then we did such an amazing job. We actually took the full contract for the following several years. So that happened. Nice. And that was, <laughs> we, we took over, we were like, it was like David versus Goliath. And we definitely won. And I know after that, they were probably like, what happened? We thought we were just partnering and we completely lost the contract to this small agency. But that's kind of how it started. And I definitely still partner with larger organizations or larger ad agencies and, and PR and marketing agencies now today. But a lot of the work that we're doing is actually directly with the actual corporation. So we have a mix of both. Yeah. Got it. And so when they come to you, what are some examples of like what they're trying to solve? You know, is it new product launches or are they trying to stay ahead of the trends? Like what kind of, what kind of projects are they trying to do with you? Yeah. So it's different for every different company. So some companies right now, a lot of people are thinking about how they're going to have people come back into the office. You have people who have burnout. So there are a lot of companies that are looking for 
people to come in and help their teams be motivated and help their teams stay healthy so they're not binge eating Doritos, <laughs> which, you know, I think a lot of people <laughs> gained that COVID-15 or that quarantine 15. Oh, 19. And right? so, Was right, it it's like being under. <laughs> it's like being an undergrad all over again, like the freshman 15. No, it's like the quarantine 15 now. But yeah, so it just really depends. But what our brilliant zone is, and I always say it's really important to operate in your brilliance zone, the thing that you can do that no one else can do. And even if they tried to do it, it would take them so much time to catch up that by the time they sped up, you're still light years ahead of them. So our brilliant zone is really helping brands connect with millennials and especially multicultural millennials as well as that is how the market's shifting. So we really help them to get down into what they need to be focused on, things they don't need to be focused on, emerging trends, things that are upcoming competitors as well. Because a lot of times I'm seeing it because I'm actually a lot of times being approached to be a client of that new smaller company and these big brands don't see it. It's almost like a huge ship and they don't see that there's, you know, that there's a, a whale there, like that's a baby whale, but it's, it's growing, right? So they're not able to see that in their vision. And so it's important that they have companies like mine to be able to keep them on top of those trends. Got it. And then, so when you work with them, let's talk a little bit about this, the blueprint for becoming future-proof, right? Because I think that's such a great name, by the way, future-proof. You know? you. Because, and it, it's funny because you also want to be fire-proof, right? So you're so valuable. Mm-hmm. That you know you're yeah. There you go. There's your next one. Future-proof. So you lay out <laughs> a blueprint <laughs> for, for them. How do you take them through that blueprint? Like what are the various steps when you think about that blueprint? Yeah. So the first thing that we always like to start with, I'm a big proponent of assessments. I think that they're the key to really being able to track the impact that you've had with any client. So whether it be a large corporation, whether it be a local nonprofit, or whether we're working with a CEO who's trying to really elevate his area of expertise in his industry, we really focus on our assessments first. So we always do what we like to call internal market research or IMR. And our IMR, we have proprietary assessments for each of them, but I'm going to walk you through our top three ones. Internal market research for us is really all around tapping into who's in the organization, highlighting what they, and really getting to know them, kind of similar to what we're doing right now, like an interview style, and really getting down to what they see coming up into the coming up as competitors. What are the trends that they're seeing? What's the feedback that they're hearing from their current customers? What are the things that they actually believe as a customer, as a brand advocate that the company should be offering or doing differently? And I will tell you, David, a lot of times the feedback that that companies receive and especially the leadership receives, they're like, oh my gosh, I'm so hurt by some of the things that are, that, that are coming out. And I'm like, no, it's constructive. You know, if you have someone tell you who's working for you saying, hey, this isn't working. I know you spent millions of dollars or, you know, two years developing this thing, but nobody wants to buy it. That's a hard pill to oh, swallow. God. But if you do it early in the process, you can save yourself a ton of time and money. So we always start with internal market research first. Start that first. Okay. Then part Yeah, that's part number one for us. And then part number two, so that's all about internal. Then external for us is as important because we want to make sure that we're keeping track of the market. And so the second thing that we always do are strategic market analysis, or we call those SMAs internally. And that's really all around external. So what's going on in the market? Who's, what are the top 10 brands in the market? 
How are you going to be able to position yourself? Are they, do they have any areas where they're stronger than you? Are they more cutting edge? Do they look better? Are they priced better? Are they, do they have more attractive branding? What are, what are the things that you have to be thinking about for each of those 10 brands? We call it the target 10. And so when we're talking about the target 10, we're really making sure that we use that, we gather the data from the IMR, the internal market research, and put together the list of the top 10 that are frequently, that are frequently, we're seeing a lot from the internal market research. So we can say, okay, well, these are the five that the employees are saying that are really big threats. So we need to be, we need to add those to the list. And then we also just do our own due diligence to find out the other five if they're not necessarily 10. But that's really where we start. And then the last, but I personally think the most important part, um, as brands really try to future-proof themselves, the leadership really has to be able to know how they operate, how they move. And the reason why that's so important is because when you're, as you build a team, and this doesn't matter if you're a one-person shop and you're thinking about growing, or if you're a business that has 10,000 plus employees, you really have to know what your entrepreneurial or your D or your leadership DNA is. And that's really all around just knowing, okay, this is how I like things to be laid out. I'm more analytical. I'm visual. These are how like, you know, like your strengths and your weaknesses and then making sure that you hire your team. And as you build your team, you're hiring people who fall in line with you in certain categories. And then they are completely opposite from you in the, in the categories that are your quote unquote weaknesses. Um, although I hate that word weaknesses, but that's really where we start. And all three of those are so very important to really get a 360 degree view of the organization and what needs to happen to go forward. Got it. Okay. And so you say that sometimes you come back and present the findings and there's a real big surprise. Yeah. (laughs) They've gone down a road that you're saying like, hey, you might be on the wrong path. What's that like? Oh, gosh. So I remember this was maybe about two years ago, a company, it was a a large tech company we were working with, and they spent several million dollars developing this new software, like some new component to a product that they had already been selling, doing, it was doing great in the market, but they had this new division, essentially, and no one was buying it. And so they call us in and they're like, hey, we created this great thing, but nobody's buying it. And I'm like, you know, well, if it's not selling, then that means that it's not really all that great. And so we did our three assessments to really find out where were their gaps. And really what it came down to is not the messaging wasn't right. They weren't telling the story right. They weren't necessarily tapping into the right market to be able to, because the product actually was great. They just didn't have the right engine behind it to push it out. And so with brands, I always say, if you know how to market yourself, you will never be broke a day in your life. But if you don't actually market and some people, you know, some people create the best product and David, it's not really about the best product. It's really about the product that gets the most visibility that has a thought out marketing plan. And that's really where we come in and help our clients shine. Okay. That's interesting because there's kind of a debate there between the marketing has to be like right on and the brand and the promise and everything there, but it's also the product has to be amazing. It seems like nowadays, like with Yelp and all the review sites, like if if you're really good at marketing, but the product sucks, then you're going to be in trouble, right? (laughs) So (laughs) have you ever been in that situation where, what are your thoughts on that? 
Well, I think that there's, I think that there is also, it's like a chicken and egg, like which one comes first. And so I always like to do, especially when it comes to like a software tech SaaS company, I'm always like, let's do minimum viable product and let's call it a, a beta launch. Even if, and I, I will tell you, we've done beta launches that were like two or three years long and it's still like beta. But the reason why you label it that way, one, people are a lot less likely to like completely just go and put you on blast and say, this product is terrible or this software is terrible. It has so many flaws because they know it's in beta. They know it's a work in progress. So that's one thing. But I will tell you, surprisingly, I've dealt with a lot of brands that were superior, whether it be a superior Baco or superior dashboard company, and their competitors were not nearly as good, but they just had really good marketing and they were first to market or one of the ones that just looked better. They had a better user experience. And so I'll tell you, it doesn't necessarily have to be like the best. I always say different is better than better. Right. So it's better to be different than just say, oh, well, my I'm looking at my water jug right now, but my water jug is so much better than yours. It's like, yeah, but is it different? Because that's really going to be the thing that you can market. And that's going to help you get all of that media attention and all of those first wave of customers that are like, oh, I love it because it's different. And to them, that difference is going to make it better. Got it. Okay. And then what about the social aspect of, you know, brand loyalty? So you know, how do people leverage, like, you know, the social media is, has like exploded and, you know, say someone's really excited about the product and they want to tell people, is there a way to leverage that, you know, to help to build the brand? Yeah, I think the best kept secret and something I'm so passionate about is media. Media is a complete game changer. And I will tell you, when I had my first meet, my first national media coverage, my first one was the Today Show. I know I like jumped from nothing to like the Today Show, but I had something go viral and that kind of catapulted me to the Today Show and also Good Morning America as well. And so when that happened, that completely changed. Not only it, it just changed my business because I was really strategic about making sure that I mentioned I'm in marketing. This is my company. And always made sure I wove those messages into the story that I was telling. And then that meant that there were people who otherwise would have never known who I was or anything about my business. Now they know about it. And if they're interested, if that piques their interest, now they're like, oh, yeah, she said she was in marketing. Oh, she said this is the name of her company. And then, I mean, we got a ton of new customers from from media. So one of the first things that we do when we start working with either a brand or a CEO or a nonprofit organization, the first thing that we do is we put together their story angles and we try to get them featured in press. Because the great thing about media is you can use the media coverage to push on your social media. And it basically is what I like to call engineered influence, which is all around you really engineering your own celebrity and saying, hey, this is, this, I'm doing this, I'm doing that. And that's the, really the best way to make sure that you're the go-to person in your space, especially if you're in a crowded space. And I mean, today, who, what, what space isn't crowded, right? <laughs> but I think media is definitely the game changer. And I'll say one more thing, David, when it comes to media and marketing, the difference between media is that most people don't know how to get themselves booked. Most people don't know how to get those media features, but a lot of people can figure out how to run Facebook ads. A lot of people can figure out, you know, that whole process. And I think that Facebook ads definitely have a place and we always make sure that, you know, we have that in the budget. 
But I would say nothing beats press coverage, like nothing, national, local, digital, all of it counts, all of it plays a part. But it's just, it's just a differentiator for sure when it comes to, to elevating your brand, even if you're a startup. Yeah. And so I'm thinking about that for individuals, you know, and there was a trend of like building your personal brand, you know, so that you can get yourself out there. How can someone who say you have some expertise, you, you wrote a book, you know, you, you, you want to get out and start building your personal brand in, in that way. Is there some way that they can get on board with the media aspect? Yeah, so the best way to do that is what I like to call newsjacking. And newsjacking is basically when there's something that's trending, just making sure that you pitch yourself or you have your publicist pitch you and you're tying in whatever that trending topic is. So one that one company, it was years and years ago, but it just still is. So it was such a great use of newsjacking that it stands in my mind still was when Paris Hilton years ago something happened. She did something crazy in some hotel and some note, like a small chain of hotels took that. They newsjacked it and said they're banning Paris Hilton as well. And then that catapulted their brand into the media. No, again, it was a newer brand. Not many people knew about it, but they took the trending news of Paris Hilton and they were able to newsjack that and get, then get all of this new visibility for their chain of hotels. And it was, it was a very small chain, like two or three hotels. So newsjacking is definitely the number one way to do that. And so when we're every morning when we're looking at our trend reports, we're always looking at what's trending right now. I will tell you for the next, you know, six to to eight weeks, maybe even until the end of the year, it's going to be very political focused. But if you can find out where your trending news is specifically for your media, like for your target demographic. So let's say if you're in the beauty space, then you're ideal, your ideal clients may be, or your ideal customers may be looking at cosmopolitan.com. They may be looking at L.com or healthandfitness.com. So just making sure that you're keeping the track of what's trending in those spaces and then having that story, figure out how you can use that trending topic to insert yourself in the conversation. Because the thing is, the media is always looking for new experts to help them tell the story in a different way. So they're always looking for new people and it's a great way for you to kind of get that initial, hey, this is what I'm going to say about this. This is my take on it. And I will tell you the different it is, the better because you're more likely to get it, to get it published. I love this. This is so great. So if someone's out there and they're, they've got a little bit of budget, would you recommend then working with an agency to start to have those conversations? Or is this something that you could actually do yourself at first? Yeah, there's definitely a combination of both. I mean, if you have a budget, I would definitely say, you know, the great thing about working with the agency is we have a ton of contacts. I mean, we've been doing it for 10 years and we started as a true PR firm. So we have relationships that are, and as journalists move and as these editors move around, we like move with them because we're talking to them, you know, every week we have them in our Rolodex. We're texting them and saying, Hey, how's your kid doing? So we have those relationships so we can pretty much know, okay, well, we can get this client books here and, and that kind of thing. But it is definitely something if you're just starting out and you're like, you know, I don't necessarily have the budget to do it. You can absolutely pitch yourself. And also a great thing that you can do is create your own media. 
And what I mean by that is medium.com has a ton of visibility. It's actually one of the top, it's like the new Huffington Post. Huffington Post like 10 years ago, five, 10 years ago was like the, like I've been featured in Huffington Post, but media right now, medium.com right now actually has a ton of visibility as well. And you can also interview other people on there. You can have other people who you feature in your vertical as well. And it's almost like having a mini version of your own your own media empire. So I definitely recommend that. But if you you can always find journalists, not all of them, some of them will you can look at their Twitter profiles and they'll have their contact information on there if they're open to being pitched without an agency. Some are like, you know, they don't answer emails that they don't recognize. But if they have their information on their Twitter, you can definitely reach out to them. And one more super tip is a lot of times on the publications, they actually have their email addresses on there. So you can pitch them through that. It does take a little bit of work. I'm not going to lie. If you don't have a database already built, but as you see those lists, and if you spend like a day or two, you can build a pretty good media list and start that way. And as you get busier, obviously, you're know, you're going to be too busy to pitch yourself. And then that may be a great time for you to start working with the agency. Got it. So there's a little bit of hustle involved at the beginning, right? <laughs> For sure, right? Isn't yeah. everything, right? You have to have that hustle at first and then things start to take off. <laughs> nice. Okay. And then when you get a little bit of momentum, then, okay. And do you guys help with that in yours or are you just focused on the big companies, not the individual people? Yeah, no, we actually work with a lot of CEOs. So we work with a lot of CEOs. We work with a lot of best-selling authors. One of our best case studies actually was one of our clients, he was selling a book and we helped him sell over 1.8 million copies of his book. It was just such a fun project to work on because some of the things that we did with that project was just so much fun. Yeah, that was an individual. And he's like, this is what I want. And the funny thing is he's like, I just want to sell 100,000 books. We're like, okay. Now, internally, I was like, I would love to get him a million books sold within the first six months. And they're like, okay, let's do it. So we all get together in our creative lab and we're like, let's do this. Let's do this. We can definitely spin it this way. And we like just built this little machine of publicity and marketing for that client. And he's one of our best case studies to date. So we definitely do it for, for individuals. And we, yeah, we absolutely do that. That's amazing. Okay. So yeah, there's a lot of probably, you know, up and coming experts here who <laughs> listen to the podcast. So the, I'm sure that they'll be giving you a call because that sounds like an amazing opportunity. And just the fact that you've been in the industry for so long, you've got that Rolodex, right? Of people. That's, that's huge, you know, just having the relationships. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's amazing. So what do you have coming up next? Or are, are there any big I know everyone's trying to get out of this year because it's been such a nightmare. Right. Well, not for everybody. I mean, maybe it's been good for you, but you know, what's coming up? What are you excited about right now? Yeah, I'm actually hosting a Future Proof virtual summit. So this will be the second edition. The first one we did was in May. It was a huge success. We had over 3,000 attendees and it was sponsored by Coca-Cola and this one, we have a new one that's coming out December, the first week of December. We haven't actually announced a date yet. We're still finalizing our keynote speakers and all of that. But it's a free virtual summit. It'll be sponsored by a very large corporation or a few of them, actually. And it's all around marketing. So if you're someone who's interested in future-proofing your business, if you're trying to figure out ways that you can really get that brand your brand out there in new and creative ways, then you definitely want to 
to attend that. So That's I'll crazy. make sure I send you That's all awesome. the details, David. But yeah, I'm super excited about that. Especially since it's the second edition, I feel like I have that, like, I got to make it even better than the first one. And so we're doing some really fun things. I'm so excited about it. So that's probably the number one thing. But the other thing is I'm just super passionate about my book, Future Proof. I mean, I really sat down. It took me a while to write it because I wanted to make sure it was packed with as much. I went through all of the clients that we've managed over the years. I'm like, what did we do? What worked for them? And a lot of the things that were recurring, I put those strategies in the book. So if that's a great starting point. And then once you get that, then definitely join us over at the Future Proof Virtual Summit. I think that those two things are are my main focus for really not just the end of 2020, but all of 2021 as well. You're set up. Oh my God, that's amazing. And those, you know, it's funny because we did live conferences and then doing the virtual conference, you would think, oh, you know, it's a virtual conference. You just sit there and press some buttons and you're all good to go. You don't have to bring boxes and deal with caterers and all that stuff. And right. they're hard. That's what they think. They are hard <laughs> they to are. do. They're, they're, they're no joke. I mean, and getting sponsors, yeah. congratulations on that. That's amazing to have those big Thank sponsors. You. And well, I can't wait to attend. And so as soon as that's up, We'll send people over to the website. I mean, I want to join that. I, you know, the book is amazing. And, you know, just want to thank you for coming and sharing all the tips with our audience. Thank you so much for having me, David. This was so much fun. Awesome. Well, we'll see you at the summit and over on Amazon to grab the book. And thanks for coming on the Sales Development Podcast. Thanks, David. Thank you for listening to the Sales Development Podcast the only audio forum 100% focused and dedicated to sales development with your host, David Delaney. Please be sure to subscribe to the show on YouTube and take a moment to leave us a review on iTunes. Your support makes our show possible. If you are struggling with your sales development program, contact us at 10bound.com for a no-obligation exploratory call. Again, that's 10bound.com.